Hey there, financially savvy travelers. If you're like me, you're always on the lookout for a great travel podcast. Well, I want to tell you about a great show called Out Travel the System from Expedia. Now in its third season, it features tips and tricks for making the most of your travel experience. Join host Nisreen Natasi every other week as she speaks with people like Rashida Jones and Onika the Traveler, among others, to find out how and why they travel. Before you embark on your next trip, listen to Out Travel the System and hear from travel experts and industry insiders, as well as people just like you who have great travel stories to share. This new season is the best yet. So go ahead and follow today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. And here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear when you follow Expedia's Out Travel the System. Research is absolutely critical, both on the flight and the accommodations front. So, Bill, why don't we start with you? What is your number one tip for travelers to make sure that they stay on top of the information and have as seamless of a you know booking and travel experience as possible? As you mentioned, it's a time where you have to do more homework to have a successful vacation than ever before. And you have to make sure that uh, you understand what the re- local regulations are, if there's any restrictions where you're traveling and so on. Uh, and that takes some research. One of the things we've tried to do is to make it a little bit easier by creating a resource center on Expedia. So if you go to expedia.com slash COVID travel, one word, you'll find a resource center, a travel guide that collects a lot of the information you need to know. So health, safety, and travel advisories. We can't ourselves keep up with all of those changes, but what we've tried to do is collect all of the links to the right local governmental sites and state sites so that you can find out what it's like, whether you're going to be able to travel to an area where there's a quarantine rule in place. We tell you about what it's going to be like when you arrive at an airport and what you can expect there. Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money where planning, saving and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. Financially Savvy Travelers, welcome back to another episode of the Thought Card Podcast. Every episode, I always say we have a special guest, but truly, Kristen is one of my favorite podcasters. And I couldn't believe she said yes when I asked her to be on my show. So I am totally going to be having a fangirl moment, but I know you all can relate to that. Kristen Wilson is a long-term digital nomad and expat who has been living and working across 60 countries for nearly 20 years. She is the founder of a fully distributed remote relocation company through which she has helped more than a thousand people move to foreign countries. Today, she shares her knowledge and tips on the location independent lifestyle as the host of Badass Digital Nomads podcast and two YouTube channels, Traveling with Kristen and Digital Nomad. Kristen is a top writer on Medium and Quora in topics such as business, travel, technology, and digital nomadism. Kristen... Thank you so much for coming on to the Thought Card Podcast. Super excited to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Danielle. It's great to be here. And hi to everyone listening. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So we've had past guests that have shared with us what 
remote work looks like, what's location independence and becoming a digital nomad. But I wanted to invite you on the show to talk more deeply about the movement, the history, the rich history and context of this type of lifestyle, as well as sharing some of your tips from so many years of experience and being able to not only live and work abroad yourself, but you've helped so many other people transition to this lifestyle as well. So I'm really, really deeply honored to have you. And it's truly an inspiration for someone. For me, I remember listening to your show, Badass Digital Nomad, and you had just lightly dropped that remote work has been a thing since the 1970s. And that statement and going off and doing my own research really opened up my eyes. And I was like, wait, 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 this is 2020. This is like, you know, decades later. So again, that was long and winded, but thank you again for being here. Oh, yes, you're welcome. You know, I think that part of the human experience that everyone can relate to is just wanting to know where we're from and why we're here. And we can kind of go down that rabbit hole in a lot of different ways. But it starts with, you know, your life's purpose in this life, in this body. And then we want to know more about our ancestors. I think that's why Ancestry.com is so popular and those sorts of DNA tests. And then it goes farther and farther back to just kind of answer those bigger questions like what are we all doing on this planet and the universe and blah, blah, blah. And when I started to look back at why aren't we all working remotely and trace back that history, I realized that working from home, working for ourselves, working from anywhere and traveling nomadically is just a part of our DNA. And we just all happen to be born at a time at the end of the industrial age, where for the past couple of centuries, people have been locked into this very unnatural way of living and working. And I think that understanding how we got here can explain a lot of the lack of fulfillment and happiness and joy that a lot of people feel because they're not living in their natural way. And it's a really exciting time to be alive because things are kind of coming full circle where for you know hundreds of thousands of years, we didn't have very much technology and then it's exploded exponentially in the past couple hundred years. So now we can kind of go back to our roots as humans, but with all of the opportunity and technology and communication and connection with people around the world that we didn't have before. In my opinion, the biggest block to working remotely has just simply been that it wasn't accepted on a macro level. And the mindset of being able to work from anywhere or work for yourself had not yet caught up with the times because we were living in this old paradigm. And so what I was talking about in this article on the history of remote work, which I wrote, I think in 2018, is that even though telecommuting has been technically possible since back in the 1960s or 70s, it was basically squashed by the powers that be. So it was suppressed by the CEOs of companies and they kind of just wanted to 
continue promoting the status quo way of working. And so when I accidentally fell into an unconventional lifestyle through studying abroad in college and then living abroad and realizing, wait a second, I don't have to work in a cubicle. I don't have to work a nine to five. I can live in Costa Rica on the beach and ride a four wheeler to work and like work from anywhere. And, you know, just kind of started with that and never stopped. Then coming back to kind of be the messenger to tell people like, Hey, there's another way of living and working. And not only is it possible for you, it's been possible for our parents, but they just were stuck in a system that didn't want them to think it was possible. And so now the pandemic has shifted everything forward so that I'm convinced that if the pandemic didn't happen, we would have remained locked in the rat race model for probably another decade or so to come with companies saying remote work doesn't work for us, you know, and really latching on to the negatives of remote work and trying not to relinquish that control to their employees. But the pandemic has proven that remote work can work for just about anyone or at least a flexible work model. But even the year before the pandemic happened, I had friends at massive Fortune 100 companies that I was trying to get in there and give presentations on remote work. And they did not want to hear it because in their human resources departments and their executive teams, they were just so anti-remote work. They didn't even want to consider it. And now that they were forced to, those very same companies, CEOs are being quoted and, you know, Forbes and the New York Times and, and blah, blah, blah about as resources to how to lead the corporate world into this new era of remote work. And I'm like, those are the very same people who told me 18 months ago that remote work didn't work for their company. So long story short, remote work has been possible since the 1960s. And there have been some whistleblowers saying, hey, we can do this. It makes total sense. It's logical. But the people in power, so to speak, did not want to consider it. But now here we are. You know, one of the words that while you were talking that just stood out to me was stuck. The feeling of being stuck in the life that you've built for yourself, right? Especially if you're in the corporate track of nine to five, like you go to school, you get degrees multiple, you're in a ton of student loan debt traditionally, and now you are stuck. But what I love about your whole platform that you build is inspiring folks to think about the possibility and advocating for yourself. And that Washington Post article that you noted was a big game changer for me personally in my life because I was like, why am I stuck when I can do everything I'm doing remotely? And this was before the pandemic too. So that pushed me to actually ax my job to be able to work remotely a few times a week. And I was hit with the no. <laughs> they were like, that's cute, but no. But it wasn't until I was about to leave, like I found another opportunity and they wanted to keep me and they offered that as an option. So it was kind of like when their backs were against the wall, then they were willing to cave in partially. But what are some of the reasons that you think that 
traditional nine to five employment, they're so anti remote work. You made such a good point just there that hasn't been talked about much, but everyone listening should know this. So in one of the articles I wrote about how the world will change when everyone works remotely, this was also pre-pandemic. And this is something that people have still kind of shot down that they don't think is going to happen, is that the balance of power is going to shift or has already shifted from this top-down approach, you know, trickle-down economics sort of thing to the employees having the power. So people who are feeling stuck, they have way more options than they think. So not only can they get another job, but they could also work for themselves. And I think people are starting to realize that their worth, like their salary from their nine to five job, they are worth a multiple of 10 or 20 times greater than that to the company that they're working for. That's why they're getting paid that salary. The company is making a profit off of them. And so once the general public realizes that their skills are worth more than they're getting paid for them, that should empower people to walk away from jobs where they get a no from people. So either if you're listening to this, like you should be able to set your terms with your employer because in a few years, everyone's going to be competing for remote workers. And so they're going to have to increase salaries and increase benefits and increase flexibility and all those sorts of things. So people shouldn't feel scared that they're going to lose their jobs or something. If they ask for something and they get a no, they should just realize that they have other options and that all of these companies, like we've seen with the pandemic, with restaurants increasing their minimum wage and things like that, they're being forced into it. That's going to happen on a massive scale. Otherwise, it's going to cost those companies more to hire and retrain people to replace you than it is to keep you. So that's just a note with that. Your question was on why has it taken so long for the nine to five? And why are they so against it? Why are they so against remote work? I honestly think that it's just a mindset issue. So whenever I have gone into corporate offices, I realize that a lot of the managers and the people in charge haven't been exposed to anything different. So maybe they went from high school into the workforce or college into the workforce And they are indoctrinated into the company culture. And change is scary. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of resistance to change, whether it's subconscious or overt. And so people just follow the path of least resistance. People thought they had to have so many meetings every day. And, you know, like all of these old ways of working that were just the way things were done, that it was very hard to change a company with hundreds or thousands of employees. And it seemed crazy to let people work from home or work from anywhere because no one else was doing it. But then there was this whole hidden movement of people that were doing it on their own terms anyway. But, you know, we were the very, very early adopters and the minority. And so I think the biggest fear that companies had was that which is from the Washington Post article, is that people would slack off, that they wouldn't work when actually the opposite is true. People are more productive and they work longer hours and they're more effective with their time. But that was the biggest fear, basically that they would lose control, that they wouldn't be able to 
monitor and oversee their employees and look over their shoulders. So how would they know that they were working? And that was the narrative that was pushed for about 50 years (laughs) until it was repealed by the pandemic. Yes, yes, yes. Which I think that's been, for me, one of the beacons of light and hope, even though it's been a difficult time. 2020 and even 2021 is giving me 2020 vibes still sometimes, but it's possible. Like I've been working remotely for the past 15 months and there's this article, a lot of articles, actually, I'm on Twitter a lot. And you hear these articles talking about how like something like 40% of millennials are choosing to leave corporate or to abandon it completely and become entrepreneurs or creativepreneurs or content creators or whatever the case may be, and or just going 100% remote. And there is a huge shift in the millennial culture happening right now. So would love to hear your thoughts on what have you seen happening now and what are the pros of people and why they're actually more attracted to this lifestyle than what they were used to before in the past? Yes, I actually was writing, doing some journaling yesterday, and I was writing about how not just millennials, but the younger and younger generations will not even fathom or consider the nine to five corporate model that we have now because they're being born into the time where that's basically outdated. So what we're seeing on a wide scale is these kind of tentative baby steps that people are taking. So first it goes from moving out of San Francisco into San Jose or, you know, moving out of the city into a suburb because now you don't have to live next to the office because you don't have to commute so much. Some people are moving out of their neighborhood or out of their city center. Some people are moving to other parts of their states. Some people are moving to the next state, next door. Some people are moving into rural America where they can get more for their money. They're buying farms or they're buying you know, bigger houses. They're getting out of their studio apartments from New York City. Some New Yorkers are moving to Florida. We're kind of starting to see the beginnings of this like mass migration. And then there's other people that have maybe even not even mentioned to their employers that they're not at home and they're logging in from Mexico or they're logging in from another place. So that's starting to happen. Also, people are starting to explore what would it be like to work from another country. So they're signing up for remote work retreats and co-living retreats and workations and things like that. And having gone through all of the different phases of being an expat and also being a nomad, there's like these cycles. And what I've noticed with my relocation clients is... First of all, once people move to another country or take that leap, so to speak, the only thing they ever tell me is that they wish they did it sooner. Like they waited so long because it was such a big change and it was so scary. But then once they did it, they're like, oh, this wasn't so bad. This is actually a lot of fun. I'm actually learning a lot. I'm growing. I'm seeing new things. I'm meeting new people. I'm learning a new language or, you know, all of these new things start to happen. And they're like, what was I waiting for? So that's going to start happening. And then you enter this period of just pure exploration. And this can last for, for some people, it might last less than a year. For other people, it might last a decade. 
or you might go through phases where you travel a lot and then you settle in a new place and live there or you come back home for a while and then you go back out again. And then eventually people get kind of burnt out from traveling really fast and working at the same time. And so they just basically settle down in a place that they know that they like. They like the lifestyle, the cost of living works for them. They have a community there and they kind of put down roots again. And then maybe they still travel because they can, but it's like more sporadic than it was before. And so I think we'll start seeing people get more and more comfortable with the concept of a home away from home and living and working anywhere and kind of going out like explorers into the world and finding their place in it. So like one of my friends, Eric, who I had on the podcast recently, we actually did like a two-part podcast because we talked for so long, but I was asking him how he got from Ohio to living in Thailand. And he just traveled to like 80, 90 countries and he decided that Thailand was his home. And so he stayed there. So that's the next phase that we're going to see in the next three to five years. And then once we hit a critical mass of people that are posting on social media, all of the stuff that they're doing and the places that they're living, it's going to become as normal to live nomadically or, or live anywhere as it was working in a nine to five job. I'm excited. I love all this and I'm excited for it. Like my husband and I are always like, why are we in Connecticut? It's so cold here. And it's because we have lived here, like my husband has lived here for his entire life. Again, you feel like it's an obligation. And this is not the case. You can choose what your path looks like. I should warn that it can be really disorienting because this is something I've been saying for years. Most people live someplace for a couple of reasons. Either they were born there, their family is there, their job is there, or their partner is there. And so when you don't need to work where you're from, and let's say you grow up in the Midwest and you want to move to New York or California or something like that, then you live there because it's your work. So when you can work from anywhere, your family and friends are scattered all around the country or around the planet. And if you don't have a partner or if your partner can also work from anywhere, it's like, why are you living where you're living? Like You have to find another reason to be living where you are. And that can be really disorienting because it's like you could live anywhere. Everywhere makes sense, but then nowhere really makes sense. And that's something that I still confront on a regular basis because right now I'm living in Miami because I really like the location. I like the activities that there are. I like the surroundings and the palm trees and the boats and the music scene that's here. I'm around three different airports. The cost of living is like moderate, but I just like my lifestyle right here. And I have friends here, but then on the other hand, I have friends in other places too. And my family lives in other places and I'm single. So and I don't have a boyfriend or husband. So I know at any moment, like even really have roots here, I can just pick up and like move to Germany if I want or go, I don't know, like go anywhere. And so that gives you a lot of options, but then it can also be overwhelming to have those options. So I really coach people on thinking about why they want to live somewhere, like what are they looking for, whether it's some sort of adventure, 
climate, culture, bucket list goal, cost of living or savings goals. Like there's so many reasons to move somewhere. So to try to help people narrow their choices down so that they get the experience that they want, not just because Bali is really popular or Lisbon is really popular, but to choose a place that's going to work for their goals and their innermost dreams and their lifestyle. So that question of like, why are we still in Connecticut? I think a lot of people are having that. You know that you can always come back there later because that is home. So it's like, okay, we're just going to leave the nest for a little while. But when we want to, we can just move back. Exactly. I try to like sneak concepts in (laughs) with my husband. And the other day I was like, what would it look like if we just traveled nonstop for a month? Like we just kind of said, okay, for the month of December, every year, we're going to just take a month off and live somewhere else. So I loved how you mentioned baby steps because it doesn't have to be like, okay, like I'm just going to go off and 100% change my life. It could be work remotely for one day a week, work remotely for three days a week, going to another destination and doing a workation, you know, moving abroad for a month. So there's a lot that could be done. I think it's about the mindset and just knowing that you have options. Because again, for me, that big word stuck is how I felt for most of my 20s, but not in my 30s, no more in my 30s. So I'm really excited. You mentioned a lot of destinations, like we talked about some Bali, some Germany, and I've definitely seen a trend. I've seen places like Tulsa Remote. So Tulsa, Oklahoma has a remote program where they're promoting remote workers coming to their destination. I also saw that Puerto Rico also had a page on their website, the tourism board, all about remote work. So destinations are raising their hands and saying, hey, like pick me as a destination to come to if you're choosing either a digital nomad lifestyle, work remotely. So I know there's a new concept, or maybe it's not even a new concept, a concept called digital nomad visas. They're a thing now. Can you explain what they are and if they're a good thing that we should be considering? Yeah. So a digital nomad visa is basically giving people some sort of a I don't want to say official or formal status, but like an acknowledged status that they're working from their laptop in a certain country. So up until the pandemic, the only sorts of permits to go to a country were either a tourism stamp in your passport or a work permit, which was very difficult and expensive to get, which would assume that you were going to work for a physical company in another country. And it usually was for a long term, anywhere from one to five years. And then there were also permanent residency options and then citizenship options. So to live in another country, you either could just stay there on your passport for however many days your country citizens were allowed to be there. In some cases, it's 30 days. Typically, it's 90 days. And in some cases, it could be up to 180 days at a time. And so digital nomads just lived in this undefined gray area where when we got to the airport, we would just act like we were coming in for tourism because we basically were. We're not taking away from any jobs. We're just there to sightsee and have fun and enjoy that country. And then also we're working from our hotels or our Airbnbs on our computer. So that's what most people did 
because there weren't any other options. But then Estonia and Barbados were the first two countries to create a digital nomad visa and promote it for marketing purposes. And Barbados, their visa didn't really offer many benefits over just going with your passport. So they were charging a lot of money to say, okay, you're a digital nomad, you're allowed to work here. But realistically, people could have just gone there with their passport and worked there anyway. I mean, it was not official, but that's what people were doing. So in the case of Estonia and some other places like Dubai and the Emirates, they are offering more value in their visas where you can stay longer. So in Estonia, Americans could only go there for up to 90 days with a passport because Estonia is part of the Schengen zone where you get 90 days to stay cumulatively between, I think it's 26 or 27 different European countries. And then you have to leave that zone for another 90 days. So basically leaving the continent or going to another country that's not in the Schengen zone. But in the case of Estonia, if you apply for their visa and you can stay for up to one year, then you can basically use that as your home base. And then you can still travel throughout other Schengen countries for up to 90 days at a time during that time. So instead of leaving the continent, you could just go back to Estonia when your tourism stamp is up. And so just like with remote work in general, we're seeing a critical mass where there's at least probably 30 or 40 countries that are offering some form of a digital nomad or a remote work visa. And so everyone else is going to do it too, because they don't want to be the countries that are left out. But ironically, the most developed Western countries like let's say Canada and the United Kingdom have the strictest requirements when it comes to getting work permits and temporary or permanent residency. So they wanted to discourage people from going there, make it really difficult to get. But now with the digital nomad movement, we're seeing the opposite happening where countries are trying to make it easier for digital nomads to go there and even offering incentives. In Costa Rica, I heard they're talking about allowing digital nomads to open a bank account. And for decades, it's been extremely difficult for foreigners to open bank accounts in Costa Rica. So it's like everything is flipping around. In a way, I think it's overkill because the digital nomad population has such a slim economic impact compared to tourism, for example, but it works really well for PR purposes and for generating attention and publicity about your destination. And so a lot of the countries, governments and tourism boards are just throwing together these digital nomad visa packages that even if they don't really provide a big value to the digital nomads who could just go there anyway on their passports, it has a good headline, basically. It's like, you know, go work on this Caribbean island or even like now there's the Cape Verde in Africa digital nomad visa program. But there's like a lot of places that I probably wouldn't want to live for an entire year. Like I might want to go for a month or so. I have a video on it that we can link to in the show notes where I go through, I have like a gavel, like in a courtroom and I'm approving or denying each visa. Like, is this visa worth it? <laughs> yes or no? Yay or nay? 
people can check that out if they want to get more information. And then I'm also coming out with a digital nomad visa guide, like an ebook or a database where people can look up each country and see what the requirements are, what the cost is, and what the benefits are to see if it's worth it for them to try to get one or just go with their passport for tourism. I love that. And I can't wait to watch that video. Sounds like a lot of fun for the viewer. Again, it's just so incredible to see all of this activity and being in the travel content creation space, I do see the PR angle that you mentioned. I do see the buzz. I do see the headlines. And it makes you consider destinations that perhaps you would have never thought about before. You're like, oh, you're catering specifically to me. So definitely can see that. All right. So I wanted to switch gears a bit before we dive into the money and budget section, which is always my favorite section. But we'd love to talk about the non-tech skills that you think are important for digital nomads? Because I think a lot of people are going to rule themselves out without even knowing the full scope. So I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the non-tech skills that you think are important when transitioning to this lifestyle? That's a great question because so many people think that they need to be techier to be digital nomads or people are kind of turned away or discouraged from working remotely because they don't think they have enough tech skills. But in reality, if you're an adult on the planet right now, you probably have the tech skills that you need to work remotely. Like I've been working remotely for so long and I'm still really bad at WordPress. I don't know how to build a website. Like I do the drag and drop kind of website builders and you know, you can always hire or subcontract on Fiverr or Upwork for anything that you don't know how to do. So I have a podcast and an article on the eight skills that you need to become a digital nomad. And they're mostly soft skills. So if you know how to use email, if you know how to use Zoom and messaging apps like Slack, you know, even if you went to college and you were submitting your papers electronically to your teachers, you have the skills to work remotely the biggest things are those soft skills that you would need for a job anyway. So anything that in a traditional job that recruiters would look for, like good communication skills, good organizational skills, being a self-starter, you know, being somebody who's proactive, who can get things done, who doesn't need a lot of direction and oversight. That's important. Having a flexible mindset where you're always learning and growing and you can, you know, think outside of the box, think outside of the confines of your job description. These are all things that will serve you well as a remote worker kind of out there alone in the world. And also persistence and determination because what happens when you travel while you're working is that you just open up to the potential for more things to happen. And some of those can be good and some of those can be bad subjectively. So when you're just going from your home to your office every day and maybe you stop by at Starbucks or you're on your commute, there's not a big opening for things to go wrong. Like maybe you wake up on the wrong side of the bed one day and you're running late and like a bird poops on your head and you know something like that happens. Someone spills their coffee on you in the subway. But when you're living in another country 
or you're traveling while you're working at the same time, all of a sudden you have all of these other X factors and elements that can go wrong. So it's like your flight's delayed, your luggage gets lost, your stuff gets stolen. Like all of these things can happen just because you're in a new environment or you're out of your element. And so this kind of resilience and ability to go with the flow and know that like, okay, if you're having a bad day, like just start over tomorrow. Those are all helpful skills for nomads and remote workers. Definitely being organized, being able to set a routine, stick to it, get your work done from anywhere. That's super important. And then there's also, I think, being open-minded and realizing that your worldview might be limited. If you haven't lived abroad before, there's a lot that you don't know that you don't know. And so kind of going out there and not trying to force your way of living on other people, but just being aware and open to what you're going to learn from the new country that you live in and from the people that you meet. I started living abroad in 2002. And it took me until 2007 before I really started to realize how much of what I knew was either wrong or I wanted to reject it and replace those beliefs with a new belief system. And so it might take people like a few years before they realize that some of the things that they thought were true for their entire lives were not necessarily as accurate and dependable as they thought. So I think having an open-minded attitude and like a learning and growth mentality is going to be really helpful for helping you succeed more in your career, helping you connect with people from other countries and other cultures, and also just having more fun because there's going to be more surprises that come up. And that's part of the beauty of life is these like spontaneous things that happen. Yes, yes, yes. And this is a great segue to my next question for you is having fun and also traveling and working. That's like a lot of priorities or a lot of things going on. So would love to hear how you define your routine and work schedule so that you can be productive in your business and still able to go out and explore if you wanted to. Yeah, I like to look at it on a micro level and a macro level. So like, let's say you go on vacation. Have you ever said you need a vacation from your vacation? (laughs) All the time, all the time. (laughs) So it's like when you actually live a traveling lifestyle, like that can become your day-to-day reality and it's really exhausting. So I always encourage people to slow travel first and foremost or to even take a sabbatical and maybe not be working at all if they want to go travel. So to look at your work responsibilities, your role and your career goals, and then choose to travel accordingly. Like maybe you want to just stay where you are and do like a one month per year living in Italy and working from your laptop in a vineyard in Italy or something. And that's like pretty mellow. You can have fun. You can set a routine. You can eat some good food, drink some wine, or you can also be productive. Like I look at it as seasons. So if you are in a very high intensity work season or career season, 
where you are trying to achieve some really lofty goals or climb up the remote corporate ladder or build a business from zero or go full time into your side hustle. It is not a good time to be traveling to a new city every week or every month and to be expanding your social network to meeting hundreds of new digital nomad friends. You're going to burn out because it's not normal to be networking every day and sightseeing every day and finding internet every day and a co-working space and food and like checking in and out of Airbnbs and packing and unpacking bags. Like that's too many things on your to-do list every day. So I encourage people to think like realistically about what their work responsibilities are and then leverage that by choosing a destination in an environment that's going to support those goals. So if you want to go write a book, you might want to go to a really remote area of the northern part of Finland or Norway or Estonia or somewhere that's cold and cozy that has good internet and no distractions and no noise and go write your book for a few months. But if you let's say you have a passive income business and you just have to work 10 hours a week and check in on your virtual assistants or something, you might want to go to Thailand and do like a yoga retreat on an island or go to some big conference or something and meet people or go camping or go to a music festival. You might want to go do things that, you know, you can go off the grid for a little while. So you want to think about it in the broad perspective. And then also make sure that the pace that you're traveling matches what you need to do to get things done. And then when it comes to your day to day, it's important to have like a routine and set work hours that you can lean into. So if you work in the Pacific time zone in the United States, like if you work in the California time zone, don't go to somewhere like Bali or Japan where you're going to have to work in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, put yourself in a place maybe in Europe where you can have your mornings free to do what you want and then you can clock in in the afternoon when everyone's waking up and you have like your work schedule that day. The other big thing for remote workers, what I like to do is what Cal Newport teaches. He didn't invent it, but he has a, a really good time blocking journal. He teaches this time blocking method where you basically assign a certain number of hours of the day to a specific task so that you're not always blending your deep work with your shallow work. So you figure out when is your most optimal productive time of the day to work and then you schedule your most high cognitive activity tasks in that time. Because what happens with remote workers especially if you work for a company that doesn't know how to do remote work correctly. They want you to be on Slack all day. They have Zoom meetings scheduled all day. And it's really hard to be productive when you're also communicating at the same time. So you want to make sure to separate your actual deep work that you need to do for your job with your communication work. So like I only check email really once a day at the end of the day because I don't want to be checking my inbox eight times a day because every time you switch between tasks, it takes you 15 minutes to refocus on the task that you were doing. So as a remote worker, you got to really talk with your supervisors and superiors and set those times that you're going to be communicating with people and block off the rest of the time where your phone is literally off or it's in your backpack or it's in your bedroom 
and it's just like far away from you. You have your notifications off, you have Slack shut down, you have your inbox closed, and you're just working on one thing at a time. And that's how remote workers can get their work done from a sailboat in Croatia and not burn out and have fun at the same time. I love that. And a word that came up for me is like the discipline, like having the discipline and communicating those boundaries to others is very, very important. It's all related, right? Like you need to be able to work and make an income so that you can go off and live the lifestyle that you want. So making sure that those two are balanced together makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And not assuming that your boss knows the best way for you to work. Like your company might have their culture and your personal work style might be different. And so if you can't reason with those people and if they won't let you do your job, then it might be time to get a new job or go to a company that is remote first and they understand that everyone has different work styles. Right, 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 right. Excellent. All right. So we're segueing to our last bits, which I would love to talk money and finances with you. So as digital nomad, diversifying your income streams is important. That's a statement that I've seen. So what are your favorite income streams and why is diversifying so important? Well, diversifying is important as the pandemic showed us, because if you're relying on one income stream and that income stream gets cut off overnight, then usually the only safety net for people is government assistance. And my dad always worked in government And he always told me never to rely on the government (laughs) for help. So I'm glad that he taught me that at a really young age, because even though I was directly impacted by the pandemic, because I have a relocation company where people could not travel and move to other countries because the borders were closed, the airports were closed, everything was in lockdown. It was still really difficult to get assistance. I know people who worked at law firms that got millions of dollars and, you know, salaries and their companies were doing better during the pandemic than they were before. But then for sole proprietors and entrepreneurs and small businesses, it was really hard for people to get money or it would be like a paltry amount. Like here's a hundred dollars per week for your business. Like it's not going to pay the bills. So by having different income streams, you can put more resources into one of them if another one gets cut off. So I would say one of my main income streams has always been consulting through my relocation packages. Before that, I worked in real estate. So my main form of income was through real estate commissions. Then I switched to a per project consulting based method. And then I started adding affiliate income. And during certain years, the affiliate income, which is scalable, exceeded my consulting income. And so that was always good (laughs) because it's not active income. It's like more passive, but that's also an ebb and a flow. So during years that I made more off affiliate income than consulting income, that was great. But then some of those affiliate sources dried up later because I didn't pay a lot of attention to them. I didn't reinvest in keeping those going. So It's good to diversify, but also not having so many income streams that you can't maintain them and manage them. So during the pandemic, when I couldn't do relocations, I looked at my skill set and my income streams and I decided which one did I want to invest in. And I experimented with some things. I started doing 
video production for people. So for accounting firms, for law firms, social media posts and ads, and that worked out really well. And then I decided to go more into building my YouTube channel and try to monetize my YouTube more, get more through AdSense, get more through brand deals and sponsorships. And so the important thing for people to remember is that they can monetize their skills in a different way. And there's like infinite ways to make money online. You just have to pick the one that's good for you. So if you hate doing client work, then don't be a freelancer where you're going to work one-on-one with clients. Try to go more into something that has less one-on-one interaction, like building those affiliate marketing channels or or a drop shipping store. And then the other thing is not to necessarily learn a totally new skill. Look at the skills that you already have and look at the one that you would do for free. So this is like your top 1% of your skills, your top 10% of your skills and invest in monetizing those because what you'll find with your diverse revenue streams is that 80% of your income is going to come from 20% of your activities. So you want to find those activities that you're good at that you like doing and that people will pay you for and double down and triple down on those and not do something just because you think you should do it or because other people are doing it. Yes. Being in control and knowing yourself is so, so, so important, which leads me to my last question before we get to learn more about your relocation business is how do remote workers and digital nomads create a budget? where you're working and traveling at the same time. You're on the move. How do you manage your finances? Yes, it can get a little bit complicated. This is why I've actually created a free digital nomad budget that people can download at my website at travelingwithkristen.com. And I'll give you the URL so people can go directly to the page. But I have a budget for people that's like their pre-planning budget and then their living abroad budget, and then also their travel budget. So there's kind of like three different budgets because a lot of people want to save a little bit and have like a safety net before they start traveling just in case because, you know, there's always those unforeseen expenses that come up. But interestingly, and this is the way that I have traveled for so long, is that by reducing your expenses at home, and that's what this budget does, is it helps you find out where you can eliminate your normal monthly expenses that you would have and replace those with your travel expenses. So if you don't have a car payment, if you don't have your utilities at home and your rent payment or your mortgage, you can actually just redistribute those funds to living abroad. And if you're from a first world country, in most cases, if you move abroad, you can save money. So my cost of living in Costa Rica was never more than like $3,000 a month. And that was basically doing whatever I wanted, like having a car, going on side trips. And my car expenses alone were probably like over $500 a month because gas is expensive there. But that same amount of money, like let's say you live on $2,000 or $2,500 a month in another country that's the cost of my apartment in Miami right now. So right now I'm paying more in rent than my entire cost of living in Costa Rica. So you can actually save money, ironically, 
by becoming a nomad, if you slow travel, or if you even become an expat and move to another place. So you will spend less money on Amazon and less money on your internet package and those kinds of recurring expenses. And you can shift those funds to a plane ticket instead. I love that. Listen, we got so many resources for you. All the links, videos, and everything mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. So definitely head over to podcast.thoughtcard.com and grab those and dig into more of Kristen's amazing resources. So last but not least, Kristen, can you tell us more about your relocation business, any offers that you have right now and your podcast, which I love? (laughs) Sure. So my podcast is called Badass Digital Nomads. And I started it because I wanted to tell the stories of all of the different types of people that I had met as a digital nomad or even as an expat living in another country. So before I was quote unquote nomadic, I lived for eight to 10 years in different countries, specifically Costa Rica, Australia. And I just lived there and I had a regular job. I met so many people from around the world by living in other countries. And then when I became nomadic, I met even more people. So I started this podcast to tell their stories. People can listen at badassdigitalnomads.com. We have yesterday, I published episode 114. So over 100 episodes now. And then I also have my YouTube channel, Traveling with Kristen, where I try to show more about my life as a nomad and how I travel abroad and what it's like in these other countries. So less interviews and more like how-to content and travel content. And then with relocation, so I've been doing one-on-one relocations with people for over 10 years now. So people can hire me to single-handedly plan their move to another country, whether you're going for three months or permanently. They can get more information at travelingwithkristen.com. Just click on relocation and you can fill out a form with all of your information of where you want to go. But my relocation packages are pretty expensive because they take like three to six months to plan. So they can cost thousands of dollars. But I'm for the first time ever creating a relocation course that will also be available on my website. And this is the first time ever that I am sharing how I do relocations publicly. So I have never written a blog about it. I've never done a podcast about it, a video about it. It's always been done behind the scenes. But now I'm creating a framework through a course that people can buy and do it themselves and basically follow my step-by-step process for how I relocated over a 1,000 people to 35 different countries. We'll give you guys a discount code for your listeners so they can be some of the first people to try out that course. And that will be launching the first week of August in 2021. Excellent. Excellent. Now, listeners, what I want you to do right after this is take a second and think through what has been the most impactful thing that we discuss on the show and reach out to both me, the Danielle Desir on Instagram, 
and traveling with Kristen on Instagram as well. And let us know, let us know what you took away from this podcast episode. We'd love to connect with you and make sure you definitely head over to Badass Digital Nomads podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts. So highly, highly recommend. All right, Financial Savvy Travelers, that's all for this episode and I'll catch you in the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode, but don't forget there's way more where that came from. When you become a supporter of the show, you'll get bonus episodes, additional tips on affording travel, real-time updates, as well as strategies for building wealth and creating multiple income streams. Head over to thoughtcard.com forward slash join to support. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm at the Danielle Desir. Slide in my DMs and share with me your thoughts about this episode. What did you enjoy? What stood out to you? Let me know. I'd absolutely love to connect with you outside of the podcast. See you in the next one.